Do you own possessions or do they own you? Here's Pastor John Randall. Someone called that encounter that Jesus had with the rich young ruler, the great refusal. How sad. But how many people do you know like that today? They are just ensnared. It's not a problem having possessions, but when those possessions have you, that's when it becomes a problem. When they become your master as opposed to being the servant, then that is an issue. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, not having it. So what master are you serving? Are you serving the Lord? What are you doing with what you've been given? That's the question we bring before you today on A Daily Walk as Pastor John Randall continues our series in Luke. He'll bring us the conclusion of a message he began last time about a parable Jesus taught concerning treasures in heaven. We've each been given a stewardship. And let's make sure we're investing wisely. Here is Pastor John. I want to be set up for the heavenly kingdom, as it were. And so I'm investing in the things of God. This is what Jesus seems to be saying as he exhorts to use unrighteous mammon or financial means for the purpose of furthering the kingdom. The money that God places at our disposal, making use of it in such a way that we will be reaping eternal benefits. Invest in the things of the kingdom that when everything else fails, that'll never fail. When we get to the end of the road, guys, it'll be reserved there for us. You know, the Apostle Paul talked about this in writing to the Philippians. You remember? He talked to them about how they supported the work of the ministry. And he said to them, you know, as they were investing, he said, here's the thing. It was fruit unto their account. In other words, every church that Paul planted, every place that he went, everything that he was doing, it was going to be added to their account. It would be attributed to them. They were a part of it. You know, I read something. I desired to read what Pastor Chuck had to say on this particular message, on this particular subject. And I found it interesting what I read. I want to read it to you. It says this. He said, when I get to heaven, and he's there, he said, I can expect to meet a lot of people that I've never seen before, who, though I've never seen them, I in some way am partially responsible for them being there in the heavenly kingdom. Well, how so? He went on to say, imagine a man from Africa going to heaven. And when he arrives, he will say, now, how did I hear about the gospel? And the Lord will look through the books and say, well, actually, it was that missionary that Chuck Smith supported. And so when he arrives, when he gets here, look for him. And so this fellow will come up to me when I get to heaven and he'll say, hey, I want to thank you, brother. I appreciate what you did. And I will say, who are you? He said, oh, man, I'm a Ubangi. And he said, you brought me the gospel. And Chuck said, I'll say, I've never been to Africa. I didn't bring you the gospel. He said, oh, it was the missionary that you supported that brought the gospel to me. And it's fruit to your account. He's experiencing that now. And so will you. Jesus, having stated a fact based upon observation, he then gives an exhortation to his disciples. And here's the exhortation. In verse 9, look what it says. I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. Then when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. The first thing he says when he refers to unrighteous mammon, that word just means financial resources. It means money. He says, unrighteous mammon, use it for the purpose you're investing wisely so that when you come into the kingdom, you'll see that your treasures have been, in essence, sent ahead. Now, listen, some folks get really uncomfortable when you come to passages in the Bible 
that deal with the pocketbook. Body language, suddenly people just start moving around and looking at their watch. And, you know, I don't know what it is. It just is. If you could see what I see, you would see it. But when you think about it, for most people, money occupies the majority of the thinking. Where are we going to get it? How are we going to get it? How do we get more of it? And who's going to protect it when I'm gone? And who gets it when I'm gone? These are things that in a given day, you can think so much about. It can dominate your thinking. And I'm not saying don't be thinking about what you've been entrusted with, but, but make sure there's balance in your thinking. Now, one thing you might find unique at Calvary Chapel is that we don't ever get up from this platform and beg you for money. We don't tell you how poor God is and how that if you don't give, we are, this is it. This is our last Sunday. We're done. We're closing the doors unless we have two more offerings. Ushers lock the doors. Let's try this again. Come on up, play a song. People need to dig deep. You know, you'll never hear that. We don't do that. We don't use methods that are carnal. You'll never see a thermometer up on the back wall, or you'll, you'll never have a time when someone will ask you as you enter, uh, can we, do you have a copy of your W-2s? Next week is W-2 Sunday. Everybody bring it in. We want to see what you make so we know how much you can give. It won't happen. You'll never have anybody call you on the phone and say, hey, I uh, notice uh, kind of been slacking off here. Are you guys, are you still with us? Are you partnering? No one will ever do that. We laugh, but there are places where people do that. I'm serious. You can't be a member of the church unless you bring the W-2 and show how much you're going to support it. Well, we believe that where God guides, he provides. And if the Lord's in it, he'll provide for it. However, Jesus did give us some principles of giving in the scriptures. One place to consider is that in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And Jesus said very simply, when you do a charitable deed, don't do it to be seen by men. Otherwise... You have no reward from your father in heaven. But when you do a charitable deed, he said, don't sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. I say to you, that's the reward. There it is. First of all, Jesus said, here's what you don't do. When you're going to give something, you don't strike up the band and send them ahead of you. And you know, you got your thing and it's... You know, you don't do that cha-ching. You don't, you don't make a scene to be seen by men. You don't come up in front of the church and we give you a plaque. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd be happy to introduce to you the greatest tither in all of Calvary Chapel. Come on up here, would you? Come on up here. No, seriously. Here's a plaque. You know, and then he takes it home and hangs it up. That is his gift. That is the only gift he's going to get. The only reward that he's going to receive is that plaque right there. That's it. So enjoy it. Jesus said, don't do that. But again, there are times when people do that. They want to parade it. They want to to show it off. And Jesus said, that's not good. Don't give it to the pastor. Don't hand him your check. Hey, where do I put this? You know, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to know what you give or whatever. That's between you and Jesus. But I'll tell you, there are places where that happens. In fact, when I was pastoring in the Southeast after a service, at that time, our church was six people. Um, and we were, we were meeting in this little place. And so we didn't have a formal offering because it's a little awkward. If you pass it around, bro, I mean, are you six of us, (laughs) you know, so you wouldn't do that. So what I did and where I was at 
where I was pastoring, I mean, this was a huge thing. We had a lot of prosperity doctrine. We had uh, Rodney Howard Brown was down the street. And so it was, it was a big thing. Uh, and people were begging. And I, I determined that when I went there, I'm not doing that. And so we had a box in the back of the church, a number of boxes. If you wanted to give, you could give. You could support the work of the ministry. Some people really like that. And this church is awesome. I don't have to give nothing. I can just come to church, you know, perhaps. For others, they supported the work of the ministry. They understood what was going on. But Jesus said, when you do it, do it in such a way that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Do it very discreetly. A man one time after that service, when we had six people, came up to me after the service, said, Pastor, that was a pretty good message you gave. Here's 40 bucks, you know. I was like, the sermon was only a $40 sermon. That was just... I was one of my poorer sermons, you know, apparently. But anyhow, discreetly, secretly, as it relates to giving, there's a couple of things you have to understand. First of all, it's an act of worship. That's what it is. It's as much as an act of worship as any service you do for the Lord, as any worship you offer to the Lord. It's an act of worship. Secondly, it is an individual matter. It is an individual matter that is to be settled in the privacy of one's own heart. You'll be hard-pressed to find in the New Testament a percentage that is laid out for giving under grace. In the law, in the Old Testament, it was a tenth, the tithe. But in the New Testament, it's really hard to find an actual percentage because we're not under the law, we're under grace. So if they were giving a tenth under the law, what should I be giving under grace? That's something you need to take up with Jesus. You need to ask the Lord what he would say to you. For some people, a tenth would be nothing. For others, that's a lot. It's not so much how much I give, but the way in which I give. That is what God is concerned with. Also, it's to be done anonymously, as we read. Jesus points out, we're not to have some public acclaim or recognition involved, or these are the endowed chairs sponsored by the Randall Foundation, and you're sitting in them. Or, or or somehow to, you know, this pane of glass over here was donated by the Randalls over here. And, and that, really, that's only the reward you're going to get. And there again are places like that. There's a rather large edifice not far from here. Every pane of glass, every chair donated with name on it. You can lift it up. Yep, there's my chair. Paid for that one. You know, and suddenly you're, really? And then when the building got sold to somebody else, I'm coming for my chair. You know, I'm taking that thing home. Pull that pane of glass out of there. That was mine. Anyways, I'm sorry. (laughs) It really bothers me when people do that kind of stuff. If you haven't noticed. But the next thing I want to mention to you as it relates to giving, there needs to be an understanding. And the understanding is this, guys. I can never outgive God. And there is a spiritual principle to sowing and reaping. If you sow sparingly, the Bible says, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. And as it relates to that, giving to the Lord is not a pyramid scheme. I'll give to God so much, and he'll give back to me more than what I gave him. Right, God? Are we, did you, right? That's how it works? You know what? I've been given more than I deserve. I've been given salvation. I've been given salvation. So anything that I give back to the Lord is a privilege. I should do it cheerfully. In fact, the Bible says the Lord loves a cheerful. The word is hilarious giver. So listen carefully, friends. If you can't give to the Lord hilariously, do yourself a favor and keep it. Did he just say keep it? I did. 
I did. Why should I keep it? Because it's not going to benefit you. If you can't do it with the right heart, if you can't do it hilariously and cheerfully, then give it. If you're one of those people that comes in, oh man, here comes the ushers. Let me, let me bend down and pretend like I don't see them. You know, as they come by, you know, let the bagger move your seat. When do they do the offering? Is that after the third song or the second song? Let's make sure we cruise in after it's gone. No, I'm just kidding. Keep it. But if you can give cheerfully and hilariously, then do so. I love what what John Wesley said. He said, gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. I think that's a great principle as it relates to giving to the Lord. It is a blessing. I'm so amazed at what God has given me. I have more than I deserve, and so I give back to him willingly. I invest wisely. But the second thing I find that is important, what Jesus says in verses 10 through 12, not only am I to invest wisely, but also I am to use what I've been given faithfully. Look at what it says in verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, Who's going to commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give to you what is your own? Notice that. The emphasis on being faithful with what I've been entrusted. If God's entrusted me with this, then I'm going to be faithful with that. If God's entrusted me with more than that, then I will be faithful to use that. Whatever it is that that I've been given, I want to use it faithfully because I will be rewarded. And all that I have doesn't belong to me. It belongs to him. But there's coming a day when if I've been faithful with what is his, he will give me true riches. That is eternal riches that will last forever, guys. And that is what I am living for. I'm to invest wisely. I'm to use what I have faithfully but also I am to serve Jesus only and completely. Look at what it says in verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. That's an emphatic statement. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or God and money. No servant can serve two masters. You could try, but here's the problem. Your heart will be divided. You you can't serve God and something else. And listen, every single person has to make a decision who they're going to serve. Is God your master? Do you serve the Lord? Or are you trying to serve two masters? What does your God look like? You remember when the rich young ruler came and stood before Jesus. He said to Jesus, what good work can I do that I might inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, keep the commandments. And he said, which ones? Jesus listed a portion of those commandments. And as he listed the commandments, he said, I've kept all these from my youth. What do I still lack? And Jesus said, well, one thing you lack, why don't you go and sell all that you have and come follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. You see the commandments that he said he kept, he had kept, but the commandments that he did not keep. And one in particular, you shall have no other gods before you. His money was his God. And as a result of that, He came to Jesus, was told how he could inherit eternal life, and sadly, he walked away from the Lord because he had a divided heart. He was serving another master. Someone called that encounter that Jesus had with the rich young ruler the great refusal. How sad. 
But how many people do you know like that today? They are just ensnared. It's not a problem having possessions, but when those possessions have you, that's when it becomes a problem. When they become your master as opposed to being the servant, then that is an issue. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, not having it. So what master are you serving? Are you serving the Lord? A few questions before we move on and then we will conclude. That is this. Are you being faithful with the stewardship that you have been entrusted with? Secondly, are you taking advantage of the opportunities that the Lord has presented? Thirdly, are you serving your master, your savior, the Lord, with an undivided heart? Well, as Jesus concludes this parable, keep in mind, he is speaking to the disciples, but there were other people listening, the religious leaders, and they were not excited about the story that Jesus told. And why is that? Well, look what it says. Verse 14, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money, when they heard all these things, they derided him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. And what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. And since that time, the kingdom has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. As Jesus was presenting this parable to his disciples, the Pharisees heard it. And when they heard it, they were convicted and they identified with that parable as Jesus was telling them not to be lovers of money and they were lovers of money and so they began to deride him. They began to accuse him and put him down. I find it interesting that there are those that maybe would come to a service where the gospel is being preached or the word of God is being proclaimed and you are just reading from the scriptures, expounding upon what it says and it's not necessarily directed toward them but they hear it and they're convicted and then they're upset. They get offended. I can't believe, who does that little guy think he is up there? And after the service, I'd talk to you for a second, Pastor John, about uh, some of those things you were saying. Were you looking at me when you said that? (laughs) I don't know, was I? I don't know. Seriously, that happens a lot. People come up to me, it happened this weekend. Somebody said to me, were you looking at me when you said that? How come you kept looking at me? Did you have something to say to me? What did I do? I was like, were you there? I don't even remember. I'm serious. It's like a fog. I just kind of scan over your beautiful heads. I don't really know what's happening, you know? But if I am looking at you, then I am. No, I don't know. Maybe the Lord is saying something to you. I don't know. But I do know this, man. People get offended pretty quickly when you touch a nerve. And let's just face it, the word of God has the ability to do just that. Even without trying. You shine the light in darkness, it hurts people's eyes. You proclaim the truth, somebody who has been bound in lies, it hurts their ears. You you bring the word of God down like a hammer, like a fire on a hardened heart, that hurts. Not intentionally. It's just what it is. So they were offended and they began to deride him. But Jesus responds and he unmasks their hypocrisy. And and notice these words because they are very searching words indeed. Jesus said, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. You justify yourself in the sight of everybody. You, You found reasons to explain away your sin. You found loopholes around the law of God to benefit you and all the rest of it. And that's exactly what they were doing. 
And Jesus calls them out on it. You've found ways to justify yourself, but God knows your heart and God knows what's really there. You can go through all the motions and you can make it look right and make it look clean. But Jesus said, inside you're full of dead men's bones. It's just a facade. It's not real. Justifying yourself before men and yet you're not justified in the sight of God. We've talked about it on Wednesday nights. There's only one way to be justified in the sight of God and that's through putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and being cleansed with the blood of Christ. That's the only way you're going to be justified. You can try to justify yourself but it'll be unacceptable on judgment day unless you're justified by faith in Christ. That's what they were doing. But then Jesus said something that's even more important even beyond. I mean, it's all searching but this phrase right here Not only does God know your heart, but what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And listen carefully. There are many things presently in this world that are esteemed in the eyes of men. And God says it's an abomination in my sight. God is not approving of it. Though the media, though political powers, though organizations... Whatever it might be, court systems say, this is acceptable. This is something that is welcomed and applauded in the eyes of men. And God says, it's an abomination in my sight. Same-sex marriages. God says, according to his word, it's an abomination in his sight. That's what he said. Aborting children, God says, it's an abomination in my sight. Breaks the heart of God. Why? Because God loves his people. God loves you. An abomination in his sight. How many things do you see in the world that people applaud and they think are so wonderful and God says, my son died for that. My son died to free you from that, from the bondage that that brings. And so they were offended by what Jesus said. But Jesus said this, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for my word to pass away or for my word to fail. His word will never fail, guys. It lasts forever. You can try to justify yourself. You can try to get on the bandwagon and be desensitized like the rest of the world and just float downstream. But it takes something else to really swim upstream, to be alive rather than dead. And formerly, so many of us, dead in trespasses and sins, we justified ourselves. I justified myself. We practiced those things that were an abomination in the sight of God until our eyes were open and we realized, Lord, I don't know what I was thinking. My ears were open. My heart was changed. Because the word of God has that kind of power and that effect. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been given a stewardship. What are you doing with what you've been given? Are you using it for his glory? Are you investing wisely? Are you using it faithfully? God loves you completely. Serve a master that loves you. Anything else is bondage outside of him. And so I want to encourage you today. Encourage myself to be a faithful steward, knowing that one day we will stand before the Lord and give an account for what we have done with what we have been given. Well, thanks for joining us today on A Daily Walk. To catch a replay of today's message from Pastor John Randall, simply go online to adailywalk.org or listen to us wherever you get your podcasts and through the Calvary South OC app. If you'd rather have a CD copy of the study from our Through the Bible series, we can send that to you for a cost of $5. Here's where to reach us toll free, 877-242-0828. You can use that to order resources or if you have any questions, that's 877 877- 
242-0828. We light up around here when a listener shares what God is doing in their life and how they're helped through the teaching of God's Word. If you feel led to write, here's our email address, adailywalk at gmail.com. That's adailywalk at gmail.com. It sure would be nice to connect with you. Hi, this is Michelle Randall with some exciting news about my new 366-day devotional, A Daily Walk for Women. You know, it's my prayer that these words from my personal devotional life will encourage you in this season that you're in and throughout the year. It's my hope that this devotional will really prime the pump and get you moving in the right direction each morning and be sort of like a pep talk from your personal cheerleader. I pray that you enjoy this labor of love as you look to Jesus each day. We pray this devotional will bring you hope as you seek Jesus and share in the wisdom of God from the heart of a pastor's wife. We're offering it for the special price of $15. Just call us and request a daily walk for women at 877-242-0828 or go online to adailywalk.org. Again, that's 877-242-0828. And please remember, it's your faithful contribution to the Lord's work at A Daily Walk that allows us to bring Pastor John's studies to the radio every day. We can't do it alone and totally rely on the Lord to make all this happen. Secure donations can be made at adailywalk.org. Hear what the Bible has to say about divorce next time on A Daily Walk. God wants to work in your marriage. Don't call it quits. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. God wants to do a work in your marriage. And if you are willing to humble yourself, to repent, to get right with God and to work on it and and work through those things that are difficult, it's worth it. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying it's worth it. And Jesus said, don't. Don't break it up. This is God's intention. You say, well, I've had it. I've tried. And I did this and I did that. Don't give up. Our study of Luke continues on the next A Daily Walk with John Randall. See you then. This program is brought to you by Calvary South OC and made possible through your generous support.